Well, greetings, friends, and welcome to the Gospel Underground Podcast. This is episode 97, The Fight for God-Given Rights. We are broadcasting live, well, live for us from two global shed quarters, one in Blacksburg, Virginia, one in Radford, Virginia. I am here with my good friend and co-host, Jesse Fury, who is uh, looking fly for a white guy. Over there in Radford, we are zooming today because you've been exposed, right? Or, or theoretically I have been exposed. I've been exposed. I am unclean. You've and been exposed for the, the good guy you are, Jesse. <laughs> I'm outside of the camp right now. We had a uh, a little dinner on Saturday with some Bonhoeffer House folks, and one of them ended up testing positive. A few days later, they came down with some symptoms. The next day, oh my goodness. Uh, we were in a big space, not very many people, not a lot of uh, close contact, but you're doing your duty. Still on CDC, man. I'm yeah. following the guidelines. So I, we're getting tested. Uh, Jenny and I are getting tested today. And even if you get a negative test, now the CDC is still wants you to quarantine. It's seven days of, of isolation. So seven days is better than 14 days, Jesse. Seven that's... days is better. And that's for non family. So uh, I didn't even look at what it would be for family. But, okay. Um, so, and I'm supposed to preach this Sunday, so I need a negative test. So you can spew your clean germs in, out into yeah, the air. And, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and our, our, our lead pastor is going to take my sermon notes and preach if my test comes back negative. Now, now are your notes and his notes similar in terms of what you produce when you preach? Or? <laughs> you already know the answer to this, Reed. I actually, uh, I actually don't have a strong uh, suspicion <laughs> about it. <laughs> I I like to have an abundance of notes. So okay. when I preach, um, and there's a a few reasons for this. Number one, I want to make sure that if I'm using the same illustrations over and over again, I can catch it. Sometimes yeah, I do. I'll, yeah. I'll I'll probably use something this week that I've used before, but I want to at least know I'm not just going back to the same right. Uh, of five illustrations over and over right. again. Number two, um, I feel more comfortable with it. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're kind of a writer, so you're writing your sermon probably. And yeah. then number three, I like to have my stuff so that I can re- uh, have it as a resource later. Yeah. And there's been times where I've, I've wanted to take what I've done and then kind of craft it into more of an essay or something I could put on the web. Um, and and, and, and being, like a ri- just, being a writer that you are, yeah, that... That works well with things like research and uh, dissertations yeah, and bro, these sorts of things. Up, man. That's right. <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, I am. I'm going to be. I'm applying for a PhD. It's 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 happening uh, at Southeastern where I where I did my master's degree. I'm going from a uh, you know a kind of secular Catholic kid to being right in the middle of the Baptist world. I'm going to be doing a Baptist PhD. Um, you know, I, I just. It's it's happening, bro. And I, I you'll get to know the all the GREs. famous church people that nobody knows about. That's right. All <laughs> nobody the, cares I, all, about all the famous church people that zero people in my family will yeah, have any idea. Yeah. Oh, who's Danny Aiken? They don't yeah, know. Yeah, they're not. They won't know anybody. Um, you know, maybe no, not even Al Mohler. They won't. They don't have any idea. Who, and who you're stepping into are. standardized testing then to take I your take uh, a GRE on Monday. Wow, that's exciting. So here's the thing about the GRE. I don't even know what it is. Right, graduate requisite exam, right? Something like that. <laughs> I mean, I know what GRE stands for, but I don't know what is going to be on the test. I think there's math on the test. Yeah, there probably is. There's algebra. Algebra 2 is usually the highest they go on standardized tests, I think. Unless you're doing like, you know, going for rocket science or something. It might yeah, be a specialized I, I one. Think, you take. 
I don't think that Southeastern even <laughs> takes, I don't think they care about the, the math scores. So, so that took a little, I was, I was stressing a little bit cause I haven't taken a standardized test. Well, in, talk to Kyleen Monahan. She just got her 20 P- years. Yes. Your daughter needs to she, tutor yeah, me. She just got her PSAT back this week. And it's what, 16? No, no, no. It's only out of 1520. It's a different scale. They have two okay. scores. It goes up to 1520. And then they have an index, which each state so uses. Bra- for, brag on her a little bit. She got a 1510 <laughs> out of a 1520 on the PSAT. <laughs> We I don't want to yeah. tutor that smart. In her, I, in her index was 227, and to be a national merit finalist in Virginia last year, you needed 221. So she's uh, she, she, she came in really strong. We, we were laughing as a family the other day, Kayla and me and Casey and Tommy. She told us her score. We just all looked at her and giggled like, like who are you, alien she person? She came in pretty strong. Oh, my goodness. I don't want a tutor that's, that's that much smarter than me. I need confidence <laughs> going into this thing. I have less than, I've got like four days. So. You're going to do great because uh, you're literate. And uh, well-read, your vocabulary and your reading comprehension will be solid. We'll see. All the best there, uh, Jesse. I'm going to study for two hours on Monday morning and just see see how it goes. Well, we're going to fight for your rights to do that, Jesse, because you're a human being. And today, in episode 97, it's been a while. Uh, we Jesse and I were talking. We had Thanksgiving, which was one of our podcast days we normally do. And uh, I had good intentions. Uh, Kayla and I were going to podcast. And then Jesse and I were going to try to do a Christmas thing. And not, we, we've been out for like almost a month. So we're glad to be back in episode 97. We are probably going to get together and do a little Christmas discussion of family things we do and uh, in the coming weeks. And Kayla at College Part 2 is coming, uh, too, for all of those who want to hear how a Christian uh, scholar young person in the university setting did uh, other than overthrowing the government that we talked about on our first Caitlin College episode. But we're back in our um, mini-series this fall on resistance, uh, what, what's in the borderlands, sojourning in Babylon, how do we exist right in this politically charged, allegiance-challenging culture that we're in so that we might influence others for the gospel, also be a place of refuge for the hurting, uh, and then realize there's many things in this particular cultural moment that we have to resist. Namely, we talked about lust for power, lust for pleasure, and today we're going to talk about the importance of human rights and their in, in the encroachment upon them in the erosion of our humanity that can come from all kinds of places ideologically in our society. And so I almost titled this, Jesse, I titled it Fight for Your God-Given Rights. I almost uh, titled it You Gotta Fight for Your Rights That God Gives, and I almost sang it like a Beastie Boys song, but I didn't want to be offensive to the church people uh, who might not like the Beastie Boys, so we're not, Gotta Fight for Your Rights! But anyway, we are because um, the instinct that we have uh, that human beings are uh, vested with certain dignity um, is very important. And we know in human history that um, people are run over uh, by states, by systems, by each other, uh, and that human rights right, are very important and, and, and interestingly enough, agreed upon by lots of people today that we ought to protect them. But what are they? That's a big, big discussion. Now, in terms of human rights, Jesse, I'm referring to uh, this. This is a quote from a guy named Michael J. Perry who wrote a book in the mid-2000, I think 2007, called a, a Toward a Theory of Human Rights. He said, human rights, this is what we're referring to. The twofold conviction that every human being has inherent dignity, built in dignity, uh, and that is 
that it is obligatory that we order our lives in accordance with this fact that it is wrong to violate the equal dignity of other human beings. The question is, though, why should we believe that? And on what does human dignity depend? So the two things uh, that, that Perry's talking about, that human beings have a certain value and dignity built in, right? And that we have an obligation as other human beings to that dignity in others. Those are two things important when we talk about human rights, because if we disregard that, human beings can be treated uh, atrociously. Uh, in this world, but we believe that they should be protected. Now, the question he asked, why should we believe that? Or, or we might say, Jesse, where do human rights come from or why do they exist? There's a few options uh, when explaining this. The first one we would say is that we are endowed with them uh, or that we have human rights because God, our creator, gave them to us, that we have vested inherent dignity because our creator says this is a precious, valuable thing, this thing we call a human being. Um, we, we're familiar with this, right, in our uh, American history. Uh, when we declared our independence from the, you know, the empire and the king, if you want to, if you, if you want to see a funny portrayal of the king, of course, Hamilton's got the best one uh, for that. Um, my, my daughters, they said, all right, we're sitting you down and making you watch this on Disney plus. What a, what a ride. That was a blessing to, to do with my girls. Now you got these songs from King, King, King George in your head. But when, when the declaration of independence was wrote, it was based on this view that human human beings have rights and that they're inalienable. Uh, they can't be taken away from the state because God gave them, you know, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal endowed given by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of property. No, just happiness. That's John Locke. Uh, to secure these rights, governments are instituted amongst men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Now that's one perspective, right? Uh, where rights or human rights come from. They come from God. We can't take them away because God gave them. They should be honored because we respect that in creation. Even even the United Nations in, I believe, 1948, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, um, even said that freedoms are inherent to all human beings, inalienable, equally applicable to everyone. People are born free, equal in dignity, dignity and rights. So that's kind of a built-in view. Even though the Declaration of Human Rights doesn't mention uh, specific religion or anything like that, it still has this idea, right, that human rights are built in. Uh, second option, Jesse, what would that be? Second option is that we're given them by other people, yeah. right? You yeah. know, that, that human rights are determined by uh, society or by... Um, well, and th this is what makes it so tricky, is um, they're determined by other people and... Um, you know, and us of them, we have we have human rights because some kind of structure, some kind of power assigns them or bestows them on them. But of course, uh, this is a huge problem. As a matter of fact, um, we were just having a conversation in our family this morning during our Advent devotional uh, about um, as like a Christmas time family reading kind of thing you're doing. That's right. Yeah, we're we're doing a reading for the um, four weeks leading up to leading up to Christmas morning. Awesome. And we, we ended up talking about babies and uh, we talked about abortion, not because, uh, um, oh, I think they were, they were going to watch a uh, world watch news 
clip or something. And so we, we ended up, we were talking about it and yeah. of course this is a human rights issue because, right. uh, and both our, sides of that debate say it's a human rights issue. Yeah. Right. And, and, but in this case it, it comes down to, uh, are those unborn children assigned human rights? Right. And given value, given value bestowed a sort of, um, uh, uh, dignity and, and rights, and and if we uh, if we allow the assigning of those rights to be located in human people or systems, right. uh, then that that can be a big problem because the question becomes, who has rights? Right? Uh, can they be taken away? Yeah. Um, who's in charge of assigning them? And and it's interesting, right? Because we know that human rights uh, can be taken away, trampled upon. We see that through human history with various institutions like slavery. And certainly the Declaration of Human Rights came in 1948 after World War II, where groups of people defined the rights of other groups of people in a very, very uh, vicious, heinous, evil way. Um, and so, yeah, should should all humans have equal rights and dignity, uh, whether or not they're disabled, whether or not they're mentally smart or not, whether they're very tiny, very old, um, all human beings. Now, where does that come from? If society, right, uh, just get, where do they come from? They come from us. We give human rights. We believe that we should do that. Well, if a human being says we create human rights and we bestow them upon others, certainly, right, the same group can take them away. Right. And, you know, the thing about about this view is there is a kind of common sense, um, uh, common grace that we would we would give to most people. Right. Most yeah. people, most people think, well, it's common sense. Universal human rights are common sense. We should do this. Um, you know, uh, it should be self-evident that what the Nazis did or apartheid South Africa was wrong. What, you know, the way that slaves were treated, African people were treated by slave traders and, uh, and by plantation owners and slave owners. This is wrong. Um, that somehow enlightenment is going to make this more obvious. Uh, You know, I want to give some ground there because most people, uh, generally, you know, they're, uh, they do have a good belief about universal human rights, but what I think they don't realize is why it is that they have that belief about universal human rights. Right, or what justifies it. Yeah, and that really... I, mean, I want to challenge you on that, Jesse. Do people okay. really... I mean, I, I, I think it's a charitable view you're saying. Like, it's very nice for you to think other people are, are nice. Um, but, like, if you ask, you know, pe- pe- like in France today, they're discussing the way they should view Islam, right? Um, way Islam views women, way Western values use women. It's what, is the view, what are the views of ISIS? What are the views of Russia? What are the views of Nazis? What are the views of Switzerland, right? Who, whose views? because there there might be in kind of western uh culture that's been influenced by you know laws ten commandments judaism christianity for thousands of years there might be in our neighbors this assumed common grace insight that certain things right are are wrong but man it seems like there's a massive disagreement that happens throughout history on on who gets to say that hey I, look, I agree with you. Okay. I, I believe in total depravity. I'm not, I'm, 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 uh, meaning I don't I agree with me. Defend your position, <laughs> but here's, let me defend my position. Yeah. What I'm saying is the app, my average neighbor. Yeah. In, in uh, Virginia, in Virginia, yeah. um, 
has a generally, um, uh, I would say, a generally good view about universal human rights, at least for the post-born people. Right, right. Now, what I'm saying is I think that's based on the borrowed capital that they have from from Christianity. Yes, yes. And from, from, which we're going to get into. And I think that most of them don't realize that. Right. I want to give some common ground to say like, okay, like you and I agree on the same thing. The question is... uh, is is who determines that, and 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 I agree with you, Reed, that it's so unsafe to to locate the power for determining hum, human rights in humans. Right, and and I and I think you're absolutely right that uh, what slides, uh, and, and we do, and I do think we see this in the West and the unborn, but you see yeah. it in China with uh, Muslim reeducation camps where there's yeah. the Uyghur you know, Muslims, hap- right? Yeah, yeah, that's happening right now. Yeah. Uh, or even China, right. Hong Kong, there are different views that's on, right. on yeah. how people should be governed or what rights citizens ought to have, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you if I want to press into that to say like, hey, we might agree on things. In fact, I think that's because we're receiving a right. worldview for the most part that's influenced by uh, by kind, kind of an inheritance that says, even like when the, the Declaration of Human Rights was codified after World War II, um, in 1982, I read that this, this this morning, that an Iranian, uh, the view of Iran was that it was kind of a codification of Western, a secular version of Judeo-Christian values of the West. Um, here's the thing, man. Um, I think you're right in some sense of human beings have a moral sense Right, uh, the law written on our heart, Romans uh, two, um, but yet we we subjugate that to our own sinful nature, right? And then we kind of right. do, do what people want. Now, it, it's nice to say, well, human rights are what I determined. Me and the good people, right, uh, determine uh, what what are universal human rights. Now, the problem becomes, right, if if this is the case, right? Number one, either they're given to us by somebody, and. We'll, God, you can't say nature because nature's full of like you know dogs eating rats and sharks eating fish and you know uh, Bruce the shark he gets some blood in his mouth he's going to eat right. You can't say the law the laws of nature give us that we should protect minorities right. we should protect the weak right we shouldn't just bulldoze those who are are, are less intelligent or less uh, you know strong uh, you know kind of an Nietzschean kind of view. So so we can't say they come from so they come from either gift from God or some. Some, yep. some sort of metaphysical reality, uh, or they come from us. Now, if they come from us, here's the problem. Tim Keller uh, made an insight uh, uh, on this, Jesse, in an interview he did in December of 2019, which is like 48 dog years or 48 COVID years ago. Uh, it's like, oh, that's only last year. This He had an interview in the Atlantic magazine, um, and he said this, and he uses the term materialism. And by that, he's not like talking about Madonna, that he, she's a material girl. We like $550 uh, Apple headphones or something, right? Uh, <laughs> materialism, he's talking about that all there is is matter, space, time. There is yeah. no metaphysical reality or God or anything like that. He said, materialism logically leads to at least a soft moral relativism. And yet modern secular people are highly moral. 
right? Committed to the values of human rights and justice for the poor, for the marginalized. Uh, and then he's quoting, uh, talking about a guy named Charles Taylor. So Taylor can, and others conclude the conundrum, the problem of modern society is that we don't have the moral sources to support yeah. our high moral ideas. We teach people in college. And when we talk Kayla in college, we're going to talk about this. We teach people in college that all facts and moral claims are socially constructed. And then we demand that they give up their power and privilege to lift up the marginalized. But why then, as C.S. Lewis said about in his book, The Abolition of Man, we castrate and bid the geldings be fruitful. Now, that's pretty a gross analogy C.S. Lewis is, but you, if you castrate someone, he's not having babies. And if you tell people there is no moral reality, there are no moral absolutes, it's all socially constructed, whatever way we want, but yet then tell everybody, well, you better go be moral or we'll punish you, right? This is, it gets really crazy. It's a massive, massive problem that we still believe in human rights, but we don't know why. And then certainly we don't know which things even count as universal human rights. And that's a big, huge debate today politically. Yeah. And, and Charles Taylor, I think, is really helpful here. Charles Taylor being a uh, modern Roman Catholic Canadian, right? He's from yeah, Toronto. Canadian. Yeah. Um, and, and, and really what he's making a case for <clears throat> is that we live in a disen- disenchanted age. We live in an age where... Uh, you know, for all of human history until post enlightenment, you look out and the world's enchanted. Yeah. Uh, people yeah. care. There's there's a sense of um, God behind things. There's moral transcendence. Stick, transcendence. There's a reality behind what. Yeah. Yep. And when you when you when you pull the pull the transcendence and you pull the uh, the the enchantedness of the world we live in, it, it pulls it right out of people too. So. Uh, so I think I, I think it is a massive problem we have, and and don't misunderstand what I was saying before to say I have a hopeful view. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, I don't have a hopeful view because I think, um, I think what, what you're saying, Reed, is absolutely absolutely right. That if you you know you castrate the gelding and bid him be fruitful, if you pull the source of uh, human dignity out yeah. of the conversation and then place it into the power of the, of the structures or, or then really what you're doing is you're, you're saying, trust us who are in power. We'll do what's right for everyone. Yeah. And yeah, when yeah. God is not in that equation. Now, even when God is in that equation in, in, in history, yeah. you, you have wickedness done because yeah, people yeah. are depraved. Yeah. But yeah. When you, when you pull God out and then, you know, yeah. To say that uh human rights come from God doesn't mean that people don't sin or violate those two yeah. things, those the inherent dignity of another. That's why murder is wrong, right? That's somebody else's person. God created that. You don't kill that. You don't murder that person. Um, so you violate the inherent dignity and your obligation and duty to, 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 to uphold that person's value is a violation of, you know, your, our relationship to God. Now that's where Nietzsche, right? The German philosopher in the late 19th century, uh, was right. He said, okay, what if we kill that guy? Or we don't believe that anymore. There is nothing behind anything. What then? Well, we determine it. And in his philosophy, who determines? Well, the strong do. Um, and, and you can see where that goes in terms of protecting, uh, the weak or the marginalized or human rights of those who don't, uh, don't have privilege or don't have stuff or don't, you know, benefit us in any, in any way. Um, and this, so you know, do, yeah. So what do we do, Reed? 
<laughs> well, people are trying to do things, uh, but again, it, it, it's very political. Political today. This yeah. is an article I read. Um, from, I think it's from the the Pro- Providence Magazine, a publication of the Institute of Religion and Democracy, kind of a think tank on religion and d- democracy. Uh, this article was written by a guy named Paul Marshall, and he's talking about this politi- politi- politicized nature of human rights. Um. And he his his thing was like, hey, everyone is kind of saying everything is a human right now, and if everything is, nothing is. And so um, he says this, as a result, despite widespread emphasis, we all talk about on human rights, there's little clarity about what we mean or should mean when discussing issues related to human rights. This situation worsens when citizens claim that most politically desired outcomes are necessarily rights. Now, we're going to talk about this in a second, Jesse, but like not everything we think is good for society or want politically is an inherent built-in human right. A human right means that you can't take that away from someone, right? We'll get to that in a moment. So if any notion of human rights is to be preserved, we must distinguish between politically desirable outcomes um, and human rights. Otherwise, rights will lose their special cachet, their intrinsic importance, their ability to... uh, conquer over uh, other mundane or even policy choices. If governments do not make this distinction, human rights will necessarily dissolve into our usual political policy fights. If everything properly is desired is a human right, the notion of human rights has been eroded and disappeared. A right simply becomes a desired political outcome. So for example, then, um, we can't, if you say that, uh, so maybe if you say Free university tuition, yeah. uh, free college is a human right. Yeah, and some people are saying that today, right? Right. Yeah. Or um, universal health care. Yep. Um, then, then really you're eroding what is a human right. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, free college education, that's a desirable outcome. You may politically favor that. You may not. That's something that certainly we can implement as a society right. if we want to or if we could or have to make you know political decisions about finances and how we do things with uh, money and centralized economic systems or not. These are political discussions, right? You're not taking away someone like a, like a guy who wants to be a mechanic, right, um, and doesn't want to go to college or he, he's doing something else. He's not been denied of a a human right because he didn't get a free college education or somebody, you know, works hard and pays for their tuition and, you know, or takes a loan or however gets a scholarship. We're not violate. That's not a violation of human rights or, or, you know, like, um, is it a human right to have a free smartphone? Right. That's, that's a little silly compared to education, but like, Hey, I just get free stuff. Right. It's a human right. Well, we, we would not say that maybe universal free smartphones is a desire politically for somebody, but we wouldn't say that's a human right. And we mustn't, right. We mustn't say, or, Hey, it's a human right for me to have a bazooka or a nuclear bomb in my basement. Right. Um, yeah, maybe not a universal human right. Um, should you be able to have a gun? Well, it's in our Bill of Rights, right? These are discussions, right, that are very important. I think, Jesse, the solution, and I think um, our moral insight and certainly our tradition as Christians um, has located human rights properly and rightly in what governments should not do. In other words, what we do together isn't grant rights, what our responsibility 
as human beings in human society and as community is to not take away, or human government, not take away the rights that people have. Because we do that, we violate their rights. So again, Paul Marshall says this, hence rights that are universal in this sense will usually lie in those areas of human life where government should refrain from acting. This is not as peculiar as it first might sound. It is, in fact, the structure of most early American constitutional rights. The very first words of our Bill of Rights are, Congress shall make no law. Don't do this. Uh, Related to free speech, establishment of religion. In fact, the basic structure of the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth amendments is to say what the government cannot do. No law, not to be infringed, no soldier, no person, no fact, uh, not required, not be construed, not delegated. The 3rd, 5th, and 8th, and 10th Amendments do not even use the term rights. They simply tell the government what not to do, which has the same effect. Now, Jesse, why is it so important that the government, (laughs) the state, not take away people's basic human rights? Well, we know that the state is what God has assigned. This is at least the biblical position. What we believe is the state is God's assigned governing authority to with to uh, push back and beat back evil and promote justice and good. In other words, uh, God assigns a a certain amount of uh, power and um, privilege and sovereignty to our human governments. That's but right. really, in order to to promote a, a, a flourishing of all people, and so when when the government when the government itself uh, begins to uh, transgress human rights, this is actually what what Bonhoeffer uh, now now Dietrich Bonhoeffer, nineteen thirties forties Germany, uh, protested the Nazi Party in their their um, withholding and taking away and and crushing of the of the rights of of Jewish people in That's Germany. Right. That's right. Uh, he even did so much uh, to be part of a plot on Hitler's life, um, uh, something that he did not consider to be. Right, he's kind of a pacifist, right? And he was going to take it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and he essentially said, I'll take on the guilt to participate in this. You know, yeah. he, he felt like it was a just cause. Now, in part, that's because his view was when the government that began to, to uh, go outside of the boundaries that God put on it yeah. and start using the sword to take away human rights, right. the government actually... Uh, ceased to function as delegitimizes the it be, yeah, yeah. It, be, it basically became an illegitimate government and so yeah uh, so I think it's so important that that the government stays within the bounds that God's assigned and here's the it. thing here's the thing Jesse you hit a, a really great point there about the sword right uh, when the government we the people in an American context king kings or commissars or whatever systems of government people have when the government who has what the right to put people in prison uh the right to sometimes kill people uh to to have tanks and uh use force to enforce just laws we hope right it's precisely because of this friends uh that the government should not take away human rights because it has power and it should use that power to preserve that which only God gave, right? Inherent human dignity, and then our obligation to that dignity in another human being. That's why, uh, Jesse, I've put this in a in a form of resistance, mm-hmm. because we have to resist any sort of government that would usurp the role of God, right? Is the state man's parent? Um, nope. Um, <laughs> nope. Nope. <laughs> 
Um, get one of those. Yeah, man, it's it's so useful. Thank you, my friend Steve Rash. Shout out Steve for for that great gift. We have to resist this. Now, what does this look like? Now, before you start thinking that we're singing a, a certain political song to you, whether from the left or the right, here's what this means for us. The erosion of human rights, and this is like life, you deprive people of life, their freedom of movement, their freedom of speech, freedom of conscience, what they believe. You can't take those things, right? You take those things. Why? God has given, that's how human beings operate. That's how we even, we don't need to be forced or fraud to to believe things we don't believe or to worship a God we don't worship. Uh, That's why these freedoms have to be resisted. An erosion of human rights, denial of due process, what we call in America, by centralized authoritarianism. Yes, we oppose fascism, right? Any sort of move like that to erode human rights from kind of the strongman view of leadership, do it right, beat them down, you can't take away what God has given. Same thing, we can't uh, support the erosion of human rights, taking away people's freedom, particularly freedom of conscience and religion, right? We should pro- oppose militant secularism, statism, draconian socialism, and communism, right? Uh, so there you are on the right and the left. We resist those things. Also, we have to uh, resist the erosion of rights by making political power into a religion, Uh, or the enshrinement of a particular state religion by a government. Jesse, you're going to get a PhD at a Baptist school. It was the Connecticut Baptist, I believe, that pressed Thomas Jefferson uh, to ask about the separation of church and state. This is in our Bill of Rights because it's a fundamental issue of conscience that we worship God freely. And And certainly God wants that because God calls us to love and worship him with our own volition and desire and hopes. That's right. And, uh, and there's also a big role that the Virginia Baptists play back then too, with, uh, James Madison, Virginia Baptist. Hey, can I add one more thing? Absolutely. So for me, this is more of a posture of how we resist. Yeah. Um, and so, so consider this to be the, uh, I don't know, the icing on the cake or the, (laughs) I don't know, the glaze on the steak. Um, Uh, so, so I think one of the things with, with a particularly Christian resistance is that our resistance needs to, I think, uh, be, be, be beautiful in the eyes of people that are watching. In other words, um, you know, there is, there's an adorning of the gospel that, that Paul talks about in Titus. There's a way in which we communicate that, um, that is, it should be alluring. It should be, it should be something that draws people in, um, even and, and I don't mean by softening, right? Uh, you know, I I I just mean uh, our posture towards the world should be one that is loving, that is yeah, uh, that isn't sort of uh, demonstrating the opposite of what we're of the case we're trying to make. That's right. You know? That's right. Uh, and then and then I think consistency is really important for us too. So so some of the conversations, real life conversations I have about this kind of stuff as a pastor in Virginia with with uh, unchurched neighbors comes down to. Uh, questions about well, okay, when when we were more of a Christian na- nation, um, black people had no rights, yeah. you know. So so well, okay, that was inconsistent. That, that's something. Were we, we more of a Christian nation? <laughs> yeah, and that's a great question too. And and uh, and so so that's a good you know just thinking through for us uh, recognizing that we have been inconsistent Christians throughout time. I shouldn't say we. I 
mean, well, I have also been inconsistent, yeah, but yeah, we are inconsistent. And then in our, in our case now we do our best to be consistent with, uh, affirming, not just affirming human rights, fighting to resist, but also to promote that's in right. our, in our actions, promote in our words and our posture towards the world, that's uh, right. what it looks like to love our neighbor. Uh, a, a loving attitude, a humble posture, um, a conviction that every human life matters to God uh, should isn't weak. It isn't soft. In fact, yeah. it's with a stiff back of conviction, right, that we hold to these things and must. And that's why contradictions to those things we, in ourselves, uh, in our country, uh, we, we the the path in that is repentance and faith, right? Yeah. Um, Christianity has this high ideal of what human beings are and how we should treat each other. And it has this very, so very high view of humanity, the image of God create in creation and human beings, male and female made in his image. It also has a very low view of us, meaning that we're wicked and we transgress God's purposes for ourselves and others. We misuse our bodies and the bodies of others. We, we hurt, kill, maim because we covet and want. We don't have, it comes out of us. And so uh, the revolution and change that's needed out in society both takes place in systems and structures, but in the hearts of human beings, in the will and want to, that God has to put his hand on and change. And so that's the rhythm of Christianity. Uh, we view human beings as super, super wonderful and valuable and super wicked. And that means the mirror tells us that that's who we are ourselves. And so a uh, posture of humility means repentance, turning from sin and self and the domination of others to follow after God and loving God, loving our neighbors, loving our enemies, uh, so that we protect even the most vulnerable uh, among us. And so those are human rights. Now, whether or not you should get free education or this or that, um, that's for us to decide politically and probably is a, a moral issue, but at a, at a different level than whether or not a person should be thrown in prison for no reason, lose his life for no reason, have her told she's not allowed to worship Jesus because she's in a country that doesn't allow that. Um, those are the types of rights that are, um, I think, in, in our system at the beginning and the seeds which would eventually, in my view, take down uh, things like racist, white supremacist systems uh, in our culture. And then now it's up to us to continue that uh, trajectory into a more just society where people's freedom are not taken away by uh, political religious worship from the right or the left uh, because they both have a unique way to uh, squelch and replace God and take what he has given to us. Any, any thoughts uh, as we close, Jesse? It's like, we got serious on us, man. I got serious for a second. (laughs) Amen. I, I was, uh, um, you know, thinking about how the particularly uh, the, the unique household co- codes in the New Testament yeah. uh, are unique. They're not unique because the New Testament gives us household co- codes. You see this in that means uh, ways of being, Ephesians. ways of interacting together as a community codes. Yeah. Moral codes, you know, how, yeah. how we Which flow. That's right, which was a pretty common uh, thing in, in ancient philosophy, in Greek and Roman philosophy, uh, yeah. to, to kind of give a code for how to have a virtuous home, yeah. um, how to have a good flourishing society. Yeah. Uh, what was unique about the Christian household codes was the place of servants and women at, at really at a... At a the leveling. Um, yeah. A leveling. A, yeah. a, now, now brothers and sisters. Yeah. So, so you know... Uh, the servant in the house 
is the brother of the, yeah. the master of the house. And the and master of the house was saying, hey, you, you're accountable to God, so you don't have to write to see this person as other than a brother. Radical, that's radical right. stuff. That's right. And and really that, that flourishes straight out of the Old Testament where you have time after time after time after time. Uh, God saying to his people, if you, you can, you, you continue to mistreat the meek, you can yeah. continue to mistreat the poor, the foreigner. Yeah. And, uh, that's what judgment is coming for. And in yeah. fact, when judgment comes from God, promotion of those who are yeah. uh, meek and who've been trampled is what happens. And so, uh, I just think there's, you know, the, the Bible has a lot to offer when it comes to, uh, the dignity of all people. And, and if we get on us, the other side of that, then watch out because God is just yeah. right. God is just and and will not overlook those things. And that's why coming to him for mercy for our own, um, oppression of others or, or re- removal of the dignity in other people is so serious. And, but God in his kindness and his grace for human beings, uh, both, uh, weak and frail, uh, those who think of themselves in a high and lofty way, the, the way up is the way down. It's to come to him by a cross of the ultimate exalted one, becoming a servant of all people, giving his life for us so that we could be forgiven for our own sins uh, and the mess we do in the earth uh, so that we can be liberated over time from these things. And then we become, you know, part of his cosmic conspiracy, as Dallas Willard once said, to overcome Mm -hmm. evil with good. And then we oppose any system that takes from people what God has given, even life, liberty, and the pursuit suit of goofy $550 headphones. Headphones. God help us. <laughs> God help us, Jesse. I'm uh, not getting them. You're not getting I'm, them? I'm resisting. I'm not getting the Apple headphones. <laughs> I can't it's get them. I'd feel, I'd feel like terribly bad. Uh, That's right. It's not a human right. It's not a right that I need. I right. Nor is it wrong for you to buy them if, if you have some use of them. Maybe you want to have them. I don't know. Uh, but you better check your generosity in life <laughs> and not just heap up <laughs> treasures for yourself that in the end will stand against us as well. Mm. It's always a spectrum and balance, Jesse. In this world, seeking the Lord amongst the weeds and the thistles in our own hearts, in our communities, as we long for a city whose architect, builder, and king is God. That's what we need, friends. The Gospel Underground Podcast, produced in partnership with the Bonhoeffer House. Review us on iTunes. Five stars are acceptable. Comments, feedback, questions you might want us to take up here, send us uh, at info at gospelunderground.org. We are at Dialogue. Taking place right here, Jesse, in the borderlands between the church and culture. We hope to see you out there. Peace. Peace.